1: To Cocoons of Horror, the podcast that revisits classic horror films and other pulp fiction. Today we take a look at the cult classic, An American Werewolf in London. Director John Landis has some fun with werewolf lore and gives his audience heaping helpings of gore and bizarre chuckles. With me, as always, is Dr. Anthony Ladon.
2: All right, you want to talk about An American Werewolf in London? Probably should.
1: It's what this podcast is about today. Let me go ahead and make a note here. <laughs> make a note that I agreed to talk about that. <laughs> uh-huh.
2: And it's on. Ta- it's on the record.
1: <laughs> I have to do it,
2: Your Honor. He clearly said he would talk about an American <laughs> werewolf in London.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're definitely going to court over this.
2: Uh, you got an elevator pitch for this movie
1: I don't know if I do I'm a little vexed <laughs> you're
2: vexed <laughs> tell me all right tell me about it, your experience of this movie because I'm assuming that you had to watch it without Heather in the room
1: uh yes I did watch it without her she's seen it um not a fan so yeah and I and apparently I had seen the ending before.
2: I know that I know why you've seen the ending. Did you show me the ending? We were going to cover the episode of Game of Thrones where Jaime Lannister loses his hand.
1: Oh, that's
2: right. And the, that's they right. they cut to this punk rock rendition right, of right. "Bear and the Maiden Fair," which everyone was kind of perplexed by. But then the showrunner said we really wanted to go for a blue moon ending. Uh, for, you know, a la. An American Werewolf in London. And so before we recorded that podcast together, I sent you a YouTube clip of the ending, not knowing that I was going to spoil the entire movie for you. I didn't know you hadn't seen the movie. Got it. So, yeah, so you had seen the ending, and of course, so, and I, and it was my fault. (laughs) Full circle. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, when you were watching this- this, justice. When you were watching this, (laughs) were you thinking- this is a really weird movie but I there's got to be
1: some reason Anthony likes this. Yeah. Well, it's a cult classic, right? I mean, yeah. The, it definitely has has a following. It's it's definitely well regarded. Um it, it's an interesting one for me to to watch knowing you like it because I you know, for all the discussions we've had about your lack of experience or lack of appreciation of horror. Mhm. It's kind of surprising how much horror you've had contact with, but <laughs> well, maybe you didn't, maybe you didn't classify it as such because it didn't make okay. <laughs> you feel. Okay. Let me tell you about this.
2: My, <laughs> my experience with this movie is the Sunday afternoon, um, highly edited version that they would show on television.
1: Gotcha. Okay.
2: So this is—I I would almost say that this this has this movie's a lot like Pet Cemetery in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, I would almost say that this is a little bit like X-rated Pet Cemetery, if you take my meaning. I mean, there's a lot of like some of the some of the graphics, some of the, the special effects, some of the you know the the people coming back from the grave to talk to people and give advice.
1: Oh yeah, yeah.
2: There's a, there's some Pet cemeteries stuff in this movie, but it's in a movie that's, you know, not only is it uh, for mature audiences, one of the most important scenes of the movie is in a Piccadilly Circus porno theater. Right, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, so much of that stuff was just edited out, and I probably saw this movie three or four times before I realized... Oh, they really edited this movie quite a bit. They would so imagine. they could show it yeah, on television.
1: Sure. Yeah, that's wild. So when did you see it unedited for the first time?
2: A couple years ago. I thought okay. I, I, you know, it was like a an Amazon free, you know, sure free watch or whatever. And I, I, I like this movie. I think I'm gonna
1: get, you get the kids together because you're like, yeah, you know, it's one of my like, favorites. So. Yeah, I
2: get my niece, nephews, and nieces around. <laughs> Um, and I'm a I'm a sucker for the werewolf stuff. I uh, yes, you are. So I'm a, I'm a werewolf fan, and so I thought I'd revisit it, and I was a bit surprised,
1: Steve. How's that right?
2: Oh yeah, this movie is um more adult than I had uh, ever encountered in the sanitized version of the movie. Sure. Um, but I think it's genuinely funny at, in at times you know when my wife would walk in the room and i was watching this yesterday uh there were some seriously funny uh, dream sequences that i was kind of laughing at and you know just to kind of have her look at me askance what is, <laughs> who is this person that i've
1: married um so right. hey. oh, the, the the nazi w- wolves or <laughs> they were
2: actual nazi wolves um yeah <laughs> and there's a little bit of uh muppets dna in this movie too. Well, there's a fair
1: amount of muppet dna. It's
2: it's them. a goofy it's a it's a there are several strange movie making choices in this film that i just think are really funny. So, anyway, uh, but my feeling just in talking with you for a couple minutes here, um you you didn't enjoy this nearly as much as i do.
1: Um i don't i wouldn't say th- well, no, maybe not as much as you did. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't. I didn't dislike it. I, I'm, I'm still sort of processing. Because again, it's one of these things when you when you deal with when you encounter a cult classic mm-hmm. late, mm-hmm. um, your your viewing, uh, you know, uh, process is a bit different, right? I mean, the experience is is a bit different. It's not like I mean, obviously, this came out in eighty one uh mm-hmm. i i did not watch in 81 um and it's it's one of these where i where it has a reputation uh i i've mentioned this before when we watched uh the fly i i used to get those like i think they're like their fangoria trading cards yeah sure sure so, sure. so i would get you know i would have these like stills from from various horror films especially if it was uh considered pretty good like you know gore makeup that's the whole point right i mean you're not going to mm-hmm. have a moment of dialogue you know but uh so i had seen th- these images but i kind of forgot what they were what they were from and i remember as a as a young you know probably like a teenager or whatever having them the images that i would have would be the of course like some of the metamorphosis. um and there would be the uh the the Nazi wolves. <laughs> and,
2: <laughs> they had trading cards for the Nazi wolves.
1: Yeah. And then the, uh, and then of course, images of, of uh, Griffin Dunn uh, in various levels of decay. <laughs> so, so I remember just going, I don't, I thought, I mean, you know, it's a movie about a guy who turns into a werewolf. But I'm like, but clearly there's something else.
2: Right? Yeah. Yeah, this is not so, your garden so, variety werewolf
1: movie. Right. So I went through, you know, so whenever that was, maybe I was like 13 or so. So up until now, not really knowing what any of those sequences had to do with anything. Sure. Now, now that I've seen it, I'm not sure that I'm totally uh, <laughs> at ease with whatever. <laughs> I mean, so my my underst- I, I'm guessing, you know, I'm, I'm again since I'm fresh off watching it, and you know, I haven't had a chance to really analyze it. Um, the these are just this is sort of like the fever dreams that go along with lycanthropy, is what I'm guessing. Right?
2: Well, not just that they're very they're they're specific to a Jewish sensibility, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's it's very clear that uh, what's his name, uh, David, right?
1: David, yeah, David Kessler. Well, we we, uh, we learn he's Jewish pretty pretty early.
2: We learn he's Jewish because the nurses
1: checked. Have, they checked him out.
2: They <laughs> checked him we out. We
1: find out it's a common practice now. <laughs> but in England in uh-huh. England it's like there's things that there's things that are that are relatively foreign to them. It's oh, dentistry even so. and circumcision.
2: Yeah no I did my PhD in Northern England and um and even then uh if we want if we we had friends who were pregnant and having a boy and they wanted him circumcised and in order to do it they had to go find a rabbi to do it because mm. the the uh, the hospitals will not do that for you. So anyway yeah so it's very it was very clear that he's Jewish and so when he goes through the psychological process and they use the dream states to do this, where he's sort of becoming more wolf-like. Right. Uh, he's going to process that through these Nazi dreams, mm-hmm. but they are also going to include, like you know, the Muppets and <laughs> right, right, <laughs> and, yeah, and sure. whatnot. Sure. Sure. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I thought that I thought that those were delightful. I, I oh, I'm you know. not.
1: I, yeah, it wasn't like I'm like. This is entertaining for sure, um, but it was like it was <laughs> like it was just it was an odd, it was so so odd, right, so they have to I'm thinking, you know the director John Landis has to do all these things, has to make all these he conceives them and mm-hmm. and it's like you got to put it in the budget and all this. stuff. I'm like so this is this is considered fairly important to him, but then it's I'm like, is this important in terms of the the storytelling, or is this like part of the effect that he think would be pretty rad like it's mm-hmm. hard to tell. Right. I mean and again it doesn't matter. I mean, like when you're dealing with horror, like kind of the rad effect is sort of sometimes the goal.
2: Well that here's what that that does for me anyway. He goes through these seri- a series of these dreams that are so over the top that they're comical, right? Mm-hmm. And he has these series of dreams where it's like he's it's like a dream within a dream and he wakes up and then, you know, you're a little bit of a jump scare with uh Alex getting stabbed. When he thinks he woke up from his dream, but he right. didn't.
1: So then it makes you not sure if the guy that's giving him his food is also part of the dream.
2: Yeah, you don't know what's what's a dream and what's real. And so when his old friend Jack shows up, you're, you're kind of prepared for something weird to happen, but you're not sure quite what you're
1: seeing. Right, and you don't know. And your assumption being this is all part of that dream state, but then it reveals itself later that uh-huh. he's in limbo.
2: And then on top of that it's like I thought that the I thought that this show was going to be sort of really B movie horror and I was kind of laughing at the special effects prior to this mm. but when Jack shows up and he just his face is just falling off right uh, immediately I'm thinking oh my gosh I can this is a different level they've they've taken this to a different level and so i'm experiencing this this is a, this is landing for me emotionally differently than the previous scenes and so they're almost preparing you for that experience but they they actually pull it off in such a way where you're not quite prepared for just a, a calm zombie who's walking right. the, er, the earth with limbo you know yeah He's not an over-the-top zombie. He's actually making a little bit of sense. A little bit of a Jiminy Cricket. A little bit of a Jiminy Cricket, but he's the only one in the room that is telling them, look, you're not crazy. It really was a werewolf. You remember it was a wolf. And this is what's going to happen. Now I'm going to have to walk the earth in limbo in varying states of decay until you kill yourself. Yeah. And for me, that's the horror of the whole movie. For me, it's like it's not about the the wolf killing people. They don't even show that most of the time. Right. The horror of the movie is the loved one who's going to convince you to kill yourself.
1: Yeah. No. It, it, and that's that's was uh, you know. And again, I so many different takes on on werewolves and werewolf lore as we. have as we've seen in some of the movies, you know, like, you know, classics like Monster Squad and Teen Wolf, um, you know, and with, and even in Monster Squad, I think it follows that same notion <laughs> of...
2: of there's where every horror fan should start for <laughs> werewolf, <laughs> for werewolf aficionados, at least start with Teen Wolf, Monster Squad, all
1: right, sorry, continue. Well, so like in, in uh, you know, Teen Wolf, obviously there's advantages, right? It's more of a blessing than a curse, you know, you can uh you know, you can break dance on cue. I mean you can surf Slam on a van and all these, yeah, yeah I mean, all those things like, yeah, dude, sign me up. Um but in Monster Squad, Monster Squad reflects more of this uh perspective on uh on on the werewolf curse is that like he he thanks uh Uncle Rico thanks them when uh he dies at the end because he's no longer burdened by uh by being the werewolf. Because he knows he knows he's not as in control of, of his instincts and everything, and then like Jack Nicholson, obviously we know. I mean, if you want to go to like if you want to get the the film that that completely captures uh, what it takes to be what it's like to be a werewolf, it's 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 wolf. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so in this one it's the same thing and what's interesting is that he's not aware he's not a self-aware wolf for a he's while he's not
2: a self-aware wolf for sure
1: um, but he, he's got the suspicion and he doesn't know, you know so like things are getting pieced together it's, it's an interesting, it's not a very long movie um, wait hold on a second can I
2: pause you for a minute uh-huh. didn't you have a joke about the self-aware wolf yes was it your joke or a, or a friend's joke it was my joke And t-
1: can you tell me it again I go it's my impression of a self-aware wolf. Lock up the chickens. It's happening again.
2: <laughs> I remember <laughs> I remember the punchline differently. I work on it. I <laughs> I like I like the joke. It just it's re- <laughs> it's really elegant. It's <laughs> But it, it it it's it's that beat between it's that beat between that makes it funny. <laughs> um I, I forgot what we were talking about. Uh
1: oh, we were talking about the the like so he's he's learning that he's a werewolf, you know, sort of through these fever dreams, through trying to piece together what's going on, and then uh, you know, then his and his friend, you know, in limbo basically spells it out for him. So that's kind of a fun way to get the the plot moving, right? To get the story going. Yeah. Um you you have uh you know, just sort of like you said, a mellow zombie you know, he's, you know, I think it's important, too, that for their friendship, even though he's in limbo, like, he didn't kill his friend. You know, his friend got killed by another werewolf, and then now he's, you know, he was sort but of But, yeah, but now he's going to
2: be cursed to walk the earth in limbo. Until
1: they kill, until they stop the bloodline, which is which is kind of an interesting thing, right? So, I mean, here's, here's his friend in limbo, basically, basically trying to kill him. You know, he can't do it, but he's like, you gotta kill yourself.
2: It's, yeah, I don't, I didn't do this, but I think that if you were to count the number of times that David Kessler is told to commit suicide, it's got to be more than a dozen. It's like, it's repetitive, it's over and over and over. And it's interesting to me because you've got this weird character, doctor character. So, sort of a a B plot here is that you got this doctor character who starts to want to explain David's con- condition in terms of psychology. He's like, "Look, it doesn't matter if he's a werewolf or you know or not. The fact is is that if his mental state is that he thinks he is going to become a wolf, he's dangerous, right? And so that's what makes the doctor interested in the case, but the clever moment of the film is when you realize to be a werewolf is a psychological condition because you've yeah. got these undead friends of yours walking around telling you over and over and over to kill yourself so this it, it in other words the curse is psychological as much as it is anything else
1: right yeah so he's yeah exactly I mean it's it's <laughs> there's really no peace you can't even go to a porno theater without being told to kill himself
2: can we talk about the 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 movie that's on, that's on it? Right. Yeah. Let's
1: talk about that for a second. <laughs> All right.
2: So you know things are happening that you would expect to happen in a in a dirty movie, right? Right. Right. But every now and again, this couple's getting interrupted. <laughs> right. It's it's almost like that's the that's the kink is to be interrupted by a stranger, but then the
1: stranger just apologizes and leaves. Yeah, just sort of like, oh, okay. Yeah, and I was trying to figure out if that was just played for laughs, if there's if there's something part of the storytelling that goes along with that. Um,
2: <laughs> I just laughed. I just laughed really hard this time when the guy walks in the room and says, "I told you never to do anything like this again." And then the guy, the other guy, like, says, "You didn't what? tell me anything of the sort. Not you, her. <laughs> I never remembered you before in my life." Oh, sorry. That's so weird. <laughs> Such a weird thing. <laughs> so, anyway, um, I I didn't recognize Frank Oz. Did you recognize Frank Oz?
1: Was he the uh, the lawyer? He was the uh, the
2: embassy guy who comes and says, right, right, yeah, yeah, "You know, I've arranged for you know you to you know whatever," and then he leaves and says, "These damn kids, they don't." Appreciate anything that you do. I, know. I Almost sort of a meta commentary on his career as a puppeteer or voice actor. Like all the Perhaps. things he's done for these children over the years. And they don't <laughs> appreciate him. And then, of course, it's, it's me sitting there thinking, who's this guy? And <laughs> I, completely right. not appreciating
1: that this is Frank Oz. Well, Frank Oz shows up twice, right? Because he's also the voice of Miss Piggy, I believe, right?
2: Right. Of course. I, I forgot that he was Miss Piggy. Um, so yeah, so a little bit of, uh, Muppets DNA in this very odd cult classic.
1: Right. Yeah. (laughs) Very odd indeed. Um, they, it's, it's, so you, you mentioned the effects. I mean, Rick Baker, obviously this is, this is on the, uh, earlier end. Um, classic Rick Baker. Very extended metamorphosis scene. I was reading a little something that John Landis, like when he had to make some cuts um, to keep it at an R rating, um, He, I think he he cut out some of the the love scene between uh, David and Nurse Price. Um, I think there were... There were uh, three homeless guys
2: that get killed, and I think they cut out that part. They cut that
1: one because I think it it tested a little weird, and then... But he kept he said he may have stayed a little too long on the um on the metamorphosis scene because he just liked it so much.
2: Okay, I want to talk about the metamorphosis scene. I think that this is kind of crucial for any werewolf film, right? You're almost waiting to see it. They've got to do it well, and they've got to do it in a way that is a little bit different than what you've seen before, right? I really like that they're playing with his anxiety before that actually happens. Right. There's this extended scene and it just feels like it goes on forever where he's just pacing and pacing and pacing inside of this woman's London flat. And I just thought, man, they're just taking forever to show me nothing. And, but I was getting a sense of anxiety from the whole thing. Like he's cooked up. I'm thinking, go see the Tower of London, man. There's, there's a lot to (laughs) see in London.
1: Um, He already, he already encountered two creepy little girls that are, In the credits, as creepy little girls.
2: (laughs) So it was almost like he's a caged animal before that, before he actually turns into a werewolf.
1: Yeah, and I think that they, that's one thing I think it's interesting between the, between the dream, like those fever dream sequences and just no appetite. And he did a pretty, they they did a good job, I think, of of making you anxious, like you said, to Mm -hmm. the point where you're like, you know, something's up. But I like the idea that, unlike in um, Teen Wolf, where like it would be these periodic shifts, right? All of a sudden he'd have pointy ears, or mm-hmm. oh, now his now his arms are really hairy. Like it would just you know, like it wasn't like it was getting little bits of of lycanthropy. Like in this case, there was there was an internal and a, and and you mentioned it earlier, like a psychological uh, problem right that was going on yeah and becoming so a
2: was, werewolf in this film is a psychological condition
1: and and he only turns when it's when it's a full moon so it's pretty you know you know it keeps yeah, up yeah but with two nights
2: in a row so right
1: it's but i anyway, think foolish i think yeah, foolish is fine it needs fine. to be yeah it needs to be foolish and s- yeah and so he uh but so the idea being like you know so then there's so many other questions like is it going to be like if he's if this is his condition is he always going to be in that state or is as he gets closer to the full moon does it get more you know does it get more anxious um but so i I found that all that was was well done i thought and, and compelling um I think for me, the, the, the issue was just like the tone was, I mean, I understand it. I mean, it's intentional, but the tone was so disjointed at times mm-hmm. that I didn't really know. I didn't know how to feel about what I was watching. Cause I'm like, I don't, it's not all played for laughs. I mean, there there's, there's definitely comedic, like I said, I mean, like the whole, the adult movie theater sequence, is riddled with with uh, irreverence and and it's yeah. silly. I mean, just just yeah. just the where it's at and how they're talking to him. How you know some victims are a little more jovial than others, and and he's and, kind of
2: silly. I mean, he's a very silly, silly, barely twenty years old kind of guy. That's the yeah. That's the sense, and he's you know, he likes to crack jokes and
1: he gets horned a, up after he eats a bunch of uh, people.
2: Yeah, this guy is. He's a very. Um, I know, he's sort of a, a free spirit. The movie does play with that a bit. It's like he has these these horrible dreams, and then he has this vision of a, of his friend, and he's kind of like cowering on his bed. Not a great actor, I'll say. Not a great actor. Right, right, right. But then immediately the nurse comes in and he kisses her. And it's one of these things where it's like, I don't, you, you're... I'm not sure how to feel about you right now. You you don't feel, you don't seem that stable. Um, And, but the then she kind of falls for him. Yeah. When, when he's in that state and th- that part was a little goofy to me.
1: Well, yeah, it was, but it was interesting too. I, I was, I think her character was intriguing in that way because he's been there. He had been there for three weeks prior, right? So she'd been kind of attending to him in a coma and, um, she deals with children as well, and the children, you know, so and she has an interesting dynamic with the children's wing. So I, she strikes me as someone who may be in the profession uh, because of maybe a heightened sense of empathy, right? And and so we've got this kind of quiet, you know, where you have, you have a, a comatose American who's young and attractive, and maybe, maybe you build up a certain imagination, right? Mm-hmm. You tend to him, you tend to him, and then he comes to, and like, what does he need? He needs... Needs to be taken care of, right? And if she's a kind of person that likes it like is in that profession because she wants to take care of people genuinely, um, you know, she might be essentially taking her work home with. It.
2: Do you have one a cliche trope or device that you liked in this movie?
1: I, yeah, I'm right there with with. I, give me a metamorphosis scene for one thing.
2: I really liked to watch that snout get bigger.
1: Yeah, yeah. Everything that the extending of the hands, I like the so what's what's interesting about what this werewolf movie does is he goes and turns into a wolf right he doesn't turn into a half man half wolf uh, he doesn't
2: and i and I heard um uh Baker interviewed and he was like i I kind of wanted the half man half wolf thing, but turns out that Landis really wanted him to be go full wolf, yeah, and he's like, so I have this i you know I had a few dogs at home and I modeled this after my Keys Hound, because he does kind of see. He's he's kind of low to the ground. He's sort of like half wolf, half Wolverine or something. Right, right. Yeah, it's definitely more of a uh, kind of a nondescript beast. And I guess the, the way that they did it is they actually had a guy in a in a costume, and then they had uh, someone behind him holding his legs up, like he's doing the wheelbarrow. Oh, gotcha. That, American wheelbarrow how, in London. That's right. That's how they did it. Uh it looked different. It looked different than uh I look you could do a few things, right? You could do the um you could do the thing that they did on Jack, right? Or you could do the full Teen Wolf thing where you get to show Michael J. Fox's full face. Right. Yeah. And yeah. build the costume around the face.
1: Um I like this. I like this one. I like it too and I think it's important for uh the cuz like that cuz you wouldn't know that well that's a, like you wouldn't have to you wouldn't be compelled to believe that there's a werewolf if you saw that you would just go there's a there's a there's a wild animal loose mm-hmm. so when he turns back there's almost no way to connect those two right right <laughs> yeah. um, so, so he, even for him right there's no eyewitnesses that would be able to point to to that, anybody that would look at the carnage would say, "Well, he couldn't have done that." You know what I mean? So I think there's something, mm-hmm. there's something about that that makes it even more psychologically maddening. And, and I think you see that when he's trying to, you know, convince people that he's a werewolf. He's trying to convince everyone to, um, uh, to arrest him. And I think that that sequence also is an interesting one too. To go back to the the concept of the psychological aspect of it is is he's sort of being dismissed as being insane or just upset. And, and that's an, you know, that's kind of a, a fascinating critique as well, right? Is how, maybe that's how people deal with people going through PTSD or trauma is to be a little bit more, mm. let's just, let's just get you home. Let's just, you know. Yeah, like, he's, don't... he
2: kind of presents as like an asshole. He's just an American asshole in London, right?
1: Right. And I thought, and I like, and I think that's an important part of the whole concept, right? It's an American werewolf in London and the idea being... Uh, not only like we don't want you here anyway oh and you're a werewolf Ugh. like he's an uncouth werewolf <laughs> and i think that that plays up like in the beginning where you talk about I, they do a really good job of you know where how we we meet the two young men is they're you know they're schlepping around you know uh jack wants to go to rome and he wants to go to the countryside and they're just i mean they're the epitome of sort of the, just a tourist right and there's mm-hmm. and So there's a critique on the on the tourism notion, too, that suggests that like, yeah, I mean, you're going through and you're seeing things in the countryside and everything. But when you're not going to like actual tourist centers that are sort of made for this and, you know, if you go to a tourist area, a touristy area, you know, even if you're an obnoxious tourist, the people in the area are well aware of what, you know, what you're there for. They're
2: well aware of you. And it could be that their business is hinged on you
1: exactly so you have a different level of tolerance for the the ugly american uh-huh. if you're working around big ben for example but if you're on the countryside and and some people come in now they're taking they're, they're taking your life and your culture and sort of you know reducing it to uh, almost like you, like going to going to a zoo right so i think that's it's a good scene when he wakes oh, up in the zoo oh i like that yeah because i definitely think that that sort of brings that back home right where he's now on the other side of that and i it's uh,
2: interesting i was just my my son is uh on a trip to scotland right now right and i had to sit him down and have, have a talk with him about what it, <laughs> about what it's like to be the ugly american and you know just kind of just describing the stereotype of being a little bit too loud and like being annoyed at the differences instead of being fascinated by the differences. Um, you know, feeling like the customer's always right and uh, in all of the sort of the, the the cliches about Americans overseas. And he texted me and he's like, oh, dad, I had an ugly American moment. I'm really trying. Uh, mm-hmm. But I was complaining about the hotel and I didn't know that these people were listening to me, but I totally know that they were listening to me. So it's it's interesting that you bring that up because I, I wasn't thinking about that. But I just got that text yesterday these guys are totally ugly Americans, even though they mean well. Right at the slaughtered lamb, they go into the slaughtered lamb and they just kind of out of nowhere say, "What's the pentagram on the wall?" You know, just you know, right. nonchalantly, not knowing that this is the dirty secret. You know that no one wants to talk about. Uh, they don't know when to shut their mouths. In other words,
1: yeah. So I think that that and I, I that part I was very. Uh compelled by and the reluctance of them to go help one. I think for their own peril, they're like, well, I don't go out there. There's werewolves, bro. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other side of it too, there may have been this level of like, yeah, well, if the werewolf can be sated with a couple of, you know, a couple of tourists, then, you know.
2: Well, I th- I think there's a couple of ways you could read that scene. Uh, but just to sort of connect the dots here, I do like, I love that he ends up in the zoo because – I think it really does bring that that objectification theme full circle, right? Yeah. All right. So, yeah, there's a couple of ways to read that, that scene. They don't want to go out to save the guys because they don't want to get killed by the wolf, right?
1: Right. And they know it's out there.
2: And they're all resolved to not hear the howling. And then what ends up happening is the wolf does kill one of the guys and bites the other. And that's when they show up and kill the wolf. And so you could read it as, well, they ended up finding their bravery and they went out to try to help the kids. Or you could think, let's show up just in time to locate the wolf. Right. So they could have been using these Americans as bait, in other words.
1: The other thing to consider, too, though, they know the lore. They know, I'm assuming, maybe maybe they don't. But, I mean, why wouldn't... if if the concern was you killed the wolf and you knew that the other guy had been attacked and and survived why wouldn't they have killed him too oh that's true why do, why wouldn't they kill him because then you could you then you could stop it right
2: yeah that's a good question why don't they why don't they kill david do not have an answer to that one is there one um, one tweak that you'd make to improve this film, Steve?
1: Um, the uh love scene, the sex scene between David and Nurse Price has got to be the least sensual love scene I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> for something that went on for so long, I mean, it looked well, like and they, they cut were...
2: it because it was going to go on a lot longer.
1: Yeah, it. I mean, it looked like two people that were terrified of cooties but had to have sex
2: (laughs) they're having covid sex
1: yeah it was it was so so uh just like it it was unpleasant how how little eroticism there was in all i mean they're in the shower together and there's just a sense of like all right
2: I do get the sense that this. It's might what have I would been... imagine
1: my parents would look like. If they
2: had sex. <laughs> All right, yeah, let's delete that scene for sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not that I imagine my parents having sex.
2: I do get the sense that this might have been his first. Okay, because the opening scene is like him talking, like you know, he's got this high school sweetheart that he's never had sex with. Right, right, and he really, really wants to get together with her in in Italy. I don't know. Do you get the sense? Maybe this is his first time, but maybe he's he's kind of fumbling around, not really know knowing what. Maybe, he's doing.
1: but I mean, he didn't seem like. I mean, every, the, even every time he'd kiss her, I'm like, ah, just. Dude, somebody has to be like, hey, maybe maybe try it like you like each other. <laughs> Like, I don't want to micromanage Landis' <laughs> directing experience, but at the same time, like, you know, just just give it a shot. Maybe 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 there's some mouth doubles you Yeah, can there's get, some... in, get a close up.
2: <laughs> there was some residual animosity from the Revolutionary War,
1: I think. <laughs> That's right. They're not quite ready to, not to quite bridge that gap. Ready to to make up.
2: All right. Um, Steve, is this movie? better worse or on par with a ron howard film
1: huh um so here's the interesting thing i could give this a a howard plus two or a howard minus two because i'm not sure i'm not like on one hand i want to give it credit for being probably quirkier than ron howard would do so i tend to give it so that was maybe where the plus two goes but then i'm like is that what i want (laughs) <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe that's also the minus two is mm-hmm. that maybe Ron Howard might have at least given me a a better sex scene and maybe some some quirks that i, I I'm not sure how I feel about the quirks. I mean I think it I, obviously I think that's why it's all part of the the cult mm-hmm. film uh you know, is because it's not your typical horror and it's certainly not a, a typical comedy um, but it's I mean obviously it's comedic. It's, I
2: like that it, they're playing with the psychology of it, and I feel like that—that's unique. Um, you know, they, they are sort of playing with the old werewolf genre, uh, but they're doing it in a way that—I don't know—it it scratches my itches intellectually. Gotcha. So I—I'm going to say Howard plus one on this, but I have a feeling, Steve. I just mm-hmm. have a feeling. That if you watch this movie ten more times, <laughs> that you might come around on it.
1: Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm certainly not. I don't think it's a bad film. Uh, I. I think it's an interesting film. I think it's. I. I. I appreciate why it's a cult classic for sure. It's certainly watchable. I. I agree. I don't think David Naughton's a, a terribly good actor in this film. Because I think Griffin Griffin Dunn is way better. I think Griffin Dunn is... Uh,
2: well, I think he makes the film. If, if he doesn't nail that part, I don't like this film nearly as much. I do feel like that's the real horror in the film.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's... It. Yeah, and it is. Because here's a guy who's just like... He's like, not only was I mauled and I'm dead, but I don't really get to have peace about it. And the only way I can yeah. really have peace is if I go and I kind of haunt my friend and convince him to kill himself. I mean, that's... That's, that's so much, horrific.
2: Yeah, that's so much more <laughs> horrific than any kind of wolf kills and on top of that,
1: well, unless you're getting th- They really
2: <laughs> they're really investing in the special effects of Griffin more than they are even of the wolf, I think.
1: Yeah, and that's another interesting element of the supernatural side of it is like he's in limbo, but he's like just continually like you're in limbo in the condition that you were left in, mm-hmm. but you will get worse.
2: <laughs> yes. so
1: you're in limbo I mean what's it going to happen is he going to be just a pile of dust over time if the wolf just keeps on being alive that yeah, talks? I
2: think it's... that this is how he's presenting himself to David I think this is all sort of in other words I think he's putting on decay for David's benefit oh, okay um, that's just my sense I don't know
1: Yeah, I guess there was a deleted scene or like a scene that was like he was supposed to eat a sandwich and the bread falls out of his throat and that was considered too graphic.
2: See, that's the that's what
1: I I think that that's what the, give me more of that.
2: Man. Yeah, that's I think that's what it would have really, but it was pretty early in the scene for that to happen. You remember when he actually starts eating his toast, right? Right. In the in the hospital room, maybe it was too early for that kind of. Yeah,
1: mean, like I think if it had been the more skeletal version, it probably would have played better with audiences because it. It would have been a little bit more ridiculous, but because I think they're still probably managing the fact that he's just this completely annihilated face <laughs> trying to. And, but it was great. I mean, I did love the, the the casual nature of of the zombies interaction was was pretty terrific. I thought.
2: Okay, I didn't tell you my one tweak. Oh, okay. So there's a scene. Well, they're, I think that they're in bed. I, I forget. He's talking with Alex, and he says, I think that a werewolf, a werewolf can only be killed by someone who loves him. Mm. And I think that they kind of played with that at the end because she walks into the alley and gets him to kind of pause for a moment when she says, I love you. Right. And that's when they shoot him, right? Right. But I, I almost feel like they... Could have played that up a little bit more. Like, that's clearly, it's an interesting uh, an interesting magical rule that I haven't seen a lot. Right. Like, the monster can only be killed. There's, like, some magical rule that the monster can only be killed by someone who loves the monster. That To me, that's psychologically yeah. terrifying.
1: And are we to assume, then, when they shot the wolf in, from the folks in the Slaughtered Lamb, that the guy pulling the trigger loved the guy that was the wolf?
2: I think that they knew him. I think he was like a town. Yeah. He like he used to be one of the
1: townsmen, right? That I think that would that that stands to reason.
2: And so it could be that. So like, yeah, it feels like an they old introduced. Friend.
1: It feels like they introduced some something that they didn't really do anything with.
2: Yeah, I would like to see that. I would if if you're gonna remake this movie, which please do. You know, find someone to remake this movie. I, I won't. It won't lessen my appreciation of this movie if a remake fails. Let's just say. Right. Um, but if you do remake the movie, I think that that's a great little hinge to swing on. The monster can only be killed by someone who loves the monster. I think that's it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's way more interesting than Silver Bullets. Yes,
2: right. Um, is there a uh, half-the-battle one to grow on for this film?
1: Um, I would say... Uh... Pack a map, bring some snacks
2: <laughs> yeah pack a pack a sandwich,
1: yeah, yeah, just <laughs> just be prepared if guys.
2: they tell you if they <laughs> if they very ominously warn you to stay on the road,
1: stay on the road, stay on the road, yeah, yeah, don't don't go veering off into a field if for nothing else, ticks
2: mm-hmm. You're gonna go to Northern England, bring an umbrella, bring a sandwich, stay off the uh stay off the moors. Beware yeah. the moon. <laughs> but wear the moon, David. <laughs> um Yeah. No, I do feel like I don't I wouldn't say this often, Steve, but I will say that I think this movie becomes more rewarding on rewatch.
1: Okay. I mean I'm not opposed to it. It's like I said it's not a long movie. I think the pacing's pretty decent. Um I I actually think uh, for 81 those effects aren't bad. Um the uh like I said the acting's a little wonky at times. Um
2: yeah, the, the acting yeah. It's it's an odd. <laughs> it's the acting is not why I tune in or whatever. Right, right. Uh but um I mean, I'm, it's not even really the wolf. The wolf doesn't really even do it. I, I, it just—it's the idea. I feel like that they they've got a really great entry point into this this really old genre. And uh,
1: yeah, and I think you're right in terms of like I wouldn't begrudge a remake uh, because it's like it takes take a little more time. Take a little more time, and you can get a, you can do a little more with um, to keep an R rating, you know, in terms of you know some of the visuals and whatnot, if if that matters. But I think you can sort of work these characters out a little bit more, work with the lore a little bit more, because um, it really isn't. I mean, he's not—he turns into a werewolf what twice?
2: Yeah, I think we see him turn into a werewolf twice. That's right.
1: Which is kind—I of, mean, which is good, right? I mean, it's like I, I think that's that's probably plenty of time. You know, there's the build-up. I mean, you could maybe even go with—you know—have there be not two full moons in a row somehow, but actually have it be another three-week period where he's sort of maybe readjusting and maybe convinced that maybe he didn't do it you know you you can play with that a little bit and then he starts to go through that anxiety phase again and that's you know he could be haunted even more like hey man you're going to do this next month you're going to do this in a week like there could be a countdown to that kind of thing I think you could have some fun with that
2: All right. so let's say uh, we do recast the
1: remake Mm -hmm.
2: who would you like to see as the wolf
1: we want to keep them in the, uh, sort of that that early 20s?
2: Yeah, I think you kind of want to keep it in the early 20s, maybe. Give me Tom Holland. Tom Holland, interesting. Can Cuba Gooding Jr. play young <laughs> young 20s?
1: <laughs> Only as radio. Like if it's, <laughs> like if it was a special needs werewolf, I don't think anyone's done that one.
2: No, they have not. I wonder why. Hmm. It's like, it's curious why that hasn't been done.
1: I mean, I'd yeah, be very careful how you present this.
2: Be be self aware.
1: Yeah, th- th- this will be the
2: self aware wolf, right? I like that. I have you ever used self aware wolf on stage? Uh yes. <laughs> Has it worked? No. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just love it. It just it tickles me. But you know I'm a sucker for werewolf. Uh, yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> All right, I think we got ourselves a podcast here. Sounds good. Um, what's next? What do you think? Ooh, good, good question. Good question.
1: Reanimator. Yeah, let's do Reanimator. Huh? Let's keep with the uh, oldies. All right, let's do Reanimator. Okay.
2: Steve, we have some feedback. Uh, on the iTunes rate and review feature, uh, which we encourage. We like this, it helps us. Yes. This is from monk tested, Dalai Lama approved. <laughs> Finally, proof the universe does indeed dispense justice. This brings up an interesting question, Steve. Hmm. I think I know your answer. Okay. But I'm going to try you anyway. Is there a difference between justice
1: and vengeance? Um, I mean, yes, but they are not mutually exclusive.
2: All right. I thought that that was what you were going to say. Because I was thinking in this use of it, he's saying that, at least I hope, I hope he's saying that uh, the universe has brought him something good. Mm Mm-hmm. Um. so maybe there is justice, that something good has happened, and maybe he feels like he deserves something good to happen to him. But it's possible that he's thinking, I've been a very bad boy, and this podcast
1: is exactly the punishment that I need. <laughs> okay, so he's self-aware, and he's like, look, he's been waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> he could very, Very well could be. And, and he gets this podcast, and he's like, Okay, well, that wasn't so bad i mean it's it's definitely a punishment i'm definitely worse I'm definitely worse for it, but if this is as bad as it's going to be, it's kind of like a plea bargain with fate
2: mm-hmm. like he knows that the universe was going to avenge itself against him at some point, uh, and he's thinking, if this is as bad as it is, I could live with
1: it. Or going back to your original question about justice and vengeance, maybe he's like, "Yes, this podcast sucks, and I'm glad it is unleashed on the universe. I deserve vengeance. every bit of it this is this is the universe is encouraging like giving him vengeance somehow that justice is now being served. You all have to listen to this
2: yeah, so I'm curious uh, Dalai Lama approved what is it that you've done? because I wonder how well this podcast is doing or how poorly this podcast is doing. What is it that this podcast counterbalances in your life? Like, like, did you kill your father? That <laughs> that, that, that would be one option. Or was it like, you know, you cheated on your taxes?
1: Yeah. I mean, really, there's just a, on a scale, on a, on a scale of fraud to patricide. Um, <laughs> where do you fall? I think it's a, uh, I mean, the other option is, is that, like, yeah, you know what? I've, I've endured a lot of bad podcasts, and finally there's justice in the universe. Is such a good podcast out there. And if that's the case, tell me which podcast we have canceled out.
2: <laughs> yeah, what is our counterbalance? That's what I'm curious about.
1: Yeah. Um. So
2: if you would like to write us an iTunes review, we would absolutely appreciate it, and I guarantee you it will be read. I don't feel like there's been one that we have not read. And if you've written one and we haven't read it, let us know, cocoonsofhorror at gmail.com, because I, I want to make sure that I, you know, give everyone equal an equal voice in this segment of the podcast. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> hey, real quick. Mm-hmm. Have you watched the Barry season finale yet? I have
1: pretty amazing pretty amazing it's, it's quite a quirky show
2: uh, it, it's quirky for sure and you know we've talked about you know like movies like butch casting Th- of Sundance Kid merging genres mm. or busting genres I can't remember a show that was labeled a comedy that was able to pull this kind of drama out of its hat
1: at the same time, yeah. And it's just very complex too, right? I mean, it's like you really don't know what. Not only do you not know what what's going to happen, you also kind of don't know what's what, what's going on. <laughs> well, and the other you're thing you're never is like that... lost, lost, you know. But I mean, at the same time, it's just like this this unraveling. Um, mm-hmm. Of all the storylines, is it's like it never it never stops.
2: Okay, so a little spoiler if you haven't watched Barry season two, season finale yet, um, you know, and ended end this now. But um, I just it was just so perfect that that final scene was so perfect because very very rarely will a show. Give you all of the clues to map out the possible ending, but do it in such a way that it hides, you know, conceals what that final reveal is going to be. Um, it's perfect. It was perfect. It just, yeah. for me, it was like, of course, Mr. Cousineau is going to act his way to his own salvation. Right. Per- it, he just acts that scene perfectly. And then the look on his face says everything. Right. The look on his yeah. face is sort of like, that's how good of an
1: actor I am. Yeah, yeah. No, for <laughs> sure. It was pretty great.
2: Ugh, just so Give it up, give so it up nice. for the funds. Give, you got to give it up to Winkler, man. Oh, got to give it up to Winkler. Yeah, so I I really appreciate that. And to be honest, I didn't enjoy... This Is this the third season or the second? I think this is the third season. Third season, yeah. Yeah, I did not enjoy this season as much as I did previous seasons, but it could be because I wasn't tracking and I didn't see where these were going to land, how they were going to land the plane. But then Mm -hmm. once they landed the plane, I thought, that was one of the best season finales I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, I agree. It was really... Really well done. Um, you know, again, and it's it sort of, and justifying the means. Yes. Right.
2: Well, also, it's like, um, it's sort of a sleight of hand sort of thing. It's a misdirection in that his girlfriend, I forget her name now. I like to get these things right. But anyway, his girlfriend actually does get violent at the end,
1: right? Right. Yeah, and so we kind of, you know, so that one we felt was coming, right? I mean, like there comes a point where like she's going to reach a breaking point where Barry's going to be, like like this sort of follows falls into sort of the the Breaking Bad Ozark kind of kind of trend, right? Where it's like, okay, she's gonna she's gonna need Barry, and she may she may all of a sudden start to forgive some of those things about Barry, um, and maybe maybe she's gonna join forces, and then it sort of that there's a twist in that, you know, that sort of mixes that up.
2: So I'm expecting, so she, she takes a turn. She ends up, I think probably bludgeoning a guy to death. Yeah. yeah. In a podcast booth. (laughs) So, (laughs) so,
1: it's a little close to home.
2: (laughs) So, uh, and then the next scene is him going to the airport. He decides to go visit Mr. Kuzno, who's in need and he's got a gun. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. Both of these characters are going to totally break bad at the end of this episode. And I'm all in. I totally, yeah, I, yeah. I bought it. Mr. Kusino wants this guy dead because he will not give up this acting career that he's always wanted and finally has. And that's why he's got a gun. He cares about it that much. And uh, so, that anyway, they they completely fooled me and I was delighted to be
1: fair. yeah no i agree it was not i mean it's rare that um i mean not, i mean that was a rare rare but i mean like it, t- i didn't see it coming at all like i mean anything i thought was going to happen it just it it totally uh you know pulled the rug out from underneath it but it still worked you know it's like it wasn't mm-hmm. just it didn't just change for the sake of like Ah, oh, we thought you were going to go here and now it's here and it's like well how do we get there like nope it's all, like you said it was all right there all the you know all the clues
2: um, the, the funniest part of the entire season for me was when he was, he was sitting down explaining to her the kinds of things he could do to drive. Oh, I know. <laughs> to drive th- this other woman insane. What Was he almost like re- replace
1: her dog? He was going to
2: replace her dog. He was going to uh, replace her furniture with slightly larger furniture. So she thinks she's shrinking. Man, it's so, so good! Oh my gosh! And just the way he delivers them, and the That's way that...
1: it's—it's it's the delivery. I mean, yes. Hader does such an incredible job because it's like it's clearly played for laughs, but at the same time, like he sells it in such a way where I'm like, ah, this, this man, this is this is part of this is part of how his brain works.
2: <laughs> he just he just lays it on the table, like he's saying, "All right, well, there's you know." there's a few things that you could have on your sandwich and uh, here they are and uh, you just choose which one you want
1: that's the, that's yeah, the delivery I'm happy, I'm happy to go get it, I got all the ingredients
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a great uh, like I said the ride was a little rocky um, throughout the season uh, season 3 but the payoff at the end was really good yeah, yeah I agree come